Welcome to Grace to All. I'm your host, Paul Gray. You've probably used the word grace, sang Amazing Grace, or said grace at a meal. But did you know that God's grace is way better than we can even imagine, and that you and all people already have an abundant supply of God's unlimited amazing grace? Today, we're going to hear the truth about God's amazing grace to all people. So, sit back, relax, and prepare to be inspired and awakened to the amazing treasures that you already possess. This is truth that you can handle. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Grace to All with Paul Gray. And you're going to love our guest today. I've known him online for a few years now, really admire him from quite a great distance. Uh, he lives in England. I'm interviewing today Phil Drysdale, who's 35 years old. He lives in Sale, England with his wife, Tilly. And his primary message is the grace of God, God's goodness and our perfection in him and all that means. Phil says, I'm never scared to ask questions of what I believe, and if what I'm standing on is a solid foundation, then it will stand out. If not, then I'm glad to be rid of it. That questioning everything has taken him on an incredible journey, one in which he's been discovering God's goodness and who he is in Christ, and his heart is to get us to think for ourselves, challenge everything we've ever been taught, driving us to a conversation with God, study the scriptures to find out if any of our beliefs need to change. Phil produces regular blogs, podcasts, and videos and books for free. His primary focus these days is a free site that he created called The Grace Course, which has dozens of videos on loads of different topics. And he's very involved in his local community with both church and leadership, running a ministry school. He also works throughout the week with pastors and leadership teams from around the world that he's met with in his travels, including here in the United States. If it wasn't for the virus when we're recording this now, he would be in Vermont ministering. He travels all over the world speaking in churches and conferences, universities, colleges, pubs, coffee shops, and homes. For several years, he did over 200 engagements each year, working with dozens online, and his heart is to build community online where people have a safe place to share their journey and help one another. That primarily happens on Facebook, but also on a variety of other networks. So, I've talked a lot. Let me say hello and welcome, Phil. Welcome to me. Yeah, wonderful. I'm excited. <laughs> that was quite. I was. I was. I was getting drawn in by that introduction. I was like, "Wow, this is, sounds way more impressive than I am." <laughs> so yeah, hopefully they don't even pumped up your audience too much there. You know. <laughs> <laughs> no, it won't at all. And as I mentioned to Phil, as we were talking earlier, I get a, I don't know if it's weekly, but pretty often email from you with some really insightful things. And often I print those out and we go over those with our group here in the middle of the United States that meets on Sunday morning and Sunday evening. And there's always great discussion around your insight and things. And so, Phil, I, I want to start out by asking you, how is the understanding that you have now of God's unconditional love and grace. How's that affected you where the rubber hits the road with your relationship with your family, friends, co-workers, just everybody you come in contact with? Well, life is a lot easier than it used to be. That's for sure. Ah. I think when you start to realize that both God looks like Jesus and so do we, I think that that's the underlying element of Christ's ministry of showing up was to say, hey, God's not like what you think he is. He looks like this, but also you aren't what you think you are. 
you look like this. This mm. is this is who you were intended to be. And when you realize that every person on this planet is from the ground up designed to be a carrier of the fullness of God and that in them, the fullness of God dwells, whether they're, whether they're aware of it or not. I think that's a, a very big key c- component for a lot of people. And, and I don't want to put that to the side and throw it away. But I think at the end of the day, Christ has reconciled all of humanity to himself. It's in them he moves and breathes and has being. It's very, very hard to have a heated argument with a friend or your wife or your husband. Or when you take seriously the concept, this is Jesus Christ in the flesh to me. You know, when Jesus said, uh, uh, the, the passage that hits me again and again and again is Jesus' last public message in Matthew. He says, the way you treat others is how you are treating God. And, and John's epistle says much the same as well. He's saying the way you are treating other people is how you are treating God. And if you take that seriously, you know, the point in Jesus' message was he was like, you walk past homeless people very easily, but would you walk past God? You know, you might have yelled at your wife, but would you yell at God? Now, I know a lot of us have yelled at God over the years, probably. Um, but, but the point there is it, it, it radically changes how you interact with people when you see that there is something divine within each and every one of them. And actually, that is God's measuring stick in a lot of ways of how do you love God? Well, look at how you love the one you can't see, John would say. Well, look at how you love the person you do see. <laughs> and it really challenges me. Yeah. And it has challenged me over the years. And I've seen myself grow and flourish as I've learned to love myself, learned to see God as good. I've learned to be able to see others as ultimately good and, and be able to love them well as well. So I don't know if that's a good answer, but a bit ambly and a bit all over the place, but that would be it. That's wonderful, Phil. And I come to the understanding that the telltale sign that we are really on our way to having a, a full understanding of who God is and who we are is to see others as Jesus does, mm. to see others as Christ in them. It's just like what you said, uh, then it's easier. Relating to people is easier. I no longer feel like I've got to check off a mark on my whatever that I've I've told them about how to get to heaven and uh, all of that kind of mm-hmm. stuff that it makes uh, relationships easier and way more fun. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I think as well, it forces relationship where you might not normally have it either. So I think of Jesus's story to the Samaritan, you know, and so when he's framing the ultimate commandment, the ultimate thing you can do, he's asked like, how do you sort the law? What's the most important law? And he says, look, just love God as best you can to the fullest of all of your ability and love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. And, and the guy's like, well, which neighbor, you know, who's my neighbor? (laughs) You know, he's like, are we talking about the guy on the left or the guy on the right? Because the guy on the right, he mows his lawn. He seems a nice guy, but guy on the left, I can't stand that guy, you know? Um, So, But Jesus isn't talking about your neighbor. And Jesus says, well, let me tell you who your neighbor is. And so he he tells this big, long, convoluted story about, he tells about the priests and the Levi, and he's laying out all these great people that we admire. And then the person that he ends with is a Samaritan. And the Samaritan is the worst they're worse than the Romans. They're worse than like, you know, the heathens. They are the worst because ultimately they kind of worship a kind of bastardized version of our God. You know, it's our God, but they've changed all the rules and they've changed how it looks. And not only that, they were a lot of times seen as almost a terrorist group. 
to the Israelites at the time. Nearest example would be almost a fundamental terrorist Muslim would be a great example of who the Samaritan is in, in those days for us, who they would be for today. You know, it's, they kind of quote unquote worship the same God. They go, yeah, our God's the same. This is, this is the God of Abraham, but you've got it wrong. And we're going to, we're telling you what's really right. And then they become militant in it and they're aggressive in it. And, and we can also be quite aggressive with them. At least historically, we've been very aggressive. And so his answer to who is my neighbor is, oh, this terrorist group you absolutely hate. And so it forces us. Now, that's the most extreme example. And I'm using that example because, you know, it's a really hard question to say, well, do you love ISIS? Do you love Osama bin Laden? Did you, do you love these kind of like radical, terrible people? Would you have loved Hitler? How would you have loved Hitler? How would you have seen him as your neighbor? These are, these are really hard. But I think if you can start like playing with that in your head, you can hopefully take a few steps back and now look to your neighbor on the left that you don't like because he his dog poops in your lawn or something. Like, you know, and suddenly you go, I could probably sure. push myself to try and love him. You know? I'm, I'm not Hitler yet. I'm yeah. not Osama bin Laden yet. I'm really struggling with those ones. But I can kind of at least start working on this. Or I can maybe go and visit a prisoner in, in prison and love them, even though I really don't like what they did and I don't like that kind of person. And I do, I'm pushing myself. I'm forcing myself out of my bubble as I see people. This whole concept of the least of these, it doesn't have a, a limitation. You know, the, the beauty of like this inclusivity is you, you find that we draw this like circle around us of the people that we think are in. And then we look on the other side. So it might be non-Christians. It might be Muslims. It might be terrorists. It might be rapists. It might be whatever we don't think is in. And what we find every time in the, in the New Testament, in the gospel narratives, whenever people do that, Jesus goes, okay, well, you stay in this circle. I'm going to go stand outside the circle next to that person. I'm going to go stand outside next to the person caught in adultery. I'm going to go stand outside and hang out with the tax collector. And we're forced suddenly, if we want to be with Jesus, we need to make our circle a little bit bigger. <laughs> we just have to, or we don't get yeah. to hang out with Jesus. Now, yeah. I'm not saying Jesus removes himself or, you know, it's, it's kind of an allegory. It's a picture. Right. Um, yeah. Of course, we're still very much in the center of the circle. You can't be anywhere else. But it forces yeah. us to think, who am I not including in my circle? Um, and I think that's a big, big question. So I love looking at that. He seemed to go out of his way to find the most far out examples, you know, the woman in adultery, the prodigal son, uh, uh, tax collectors. Uh, and boy, and he did a great job of that. And what a great example that is for us. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it challenges me to the core because I don't do it very well, if I'm honest. There are, if I look at my church, there's a couple of people here or there that I'm like, oh, they're not on my top of my list to ask around for dinner. I'd much rather my close friends came. Sure. Or if I'm having a get together where we all get together and play board games and I'm thinking, well, board game for six people, let's invite that, 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 and that person. And I do tend to exclude this person or that person because they're not as fun to be around or they're a bit awkward or they're not nice people or whatever, you know, we can qualify any way we want, but we all do this on either a big scale. Maybe we're, we're excluding entire groups of people like tax collectors, you know, the IRS don't get invited around for the board games. Now. <laughs> um, but generally we do it on a small scale as well. Who's the awkward one in the group? that we don't want to, when we have a big group get together, yeah. who's the person that isn't talking to everyone? Who's the person that yeah. doesn't end up being the center of attention? Um, are we going to the outside of the group and talking to them, going out of our way and going, I don't care if I don't have the best conversation tonight. I want them to have a better conversation. It's a big question. Mm. I think. Because I'm not yeah, good at it. I'm it really is. not good at this one. <laughs> well, <laughs> neither am I, but Jesus in me is real good at yeah, it. So, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
how'd you come to this understanding, Phil? What was your life like growing up? But your your dad was a pastor, right? It was, yeah. So, I mean, in the UK, our understanding of denominations is a lot more gray than in America. You know? So I've lived in America and I work with a lot of Americans, about 70% of my audience are usually American. So I, I know that, you know, if I say Baptist yeah. to an American, they know what a Baptist is. If I say, you know, Lutheran, why well, I know what a Lutheran is. In the UK, a lot of our denominations are very gray. So a Baptist, you could be mm. charismatic, swinging from the rafters, hands in the air, you know, speaking in tongues, or really? you could be very fundamental and that's completely demonic. And that was all fallen within the context of a denomination of Baptists. Really? And so I grew up in this Baptist home, but my parents were very charismatic. And so we, hmm. you know, so I, I'm very cautious to qualify that because I know a lot of your audience will be American and they'll go, oh, Baptist. And that's not probably going to be very accurate. Um, but from that, surprisingly, <laughs> I actually ended up going from that into a very fundamental brethren church. And it was entirely because there were much better looking girls there and I was a teenager. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, and this Why is, not? This is how the Lord moved me, apparently, <laughs> when I was like 16, 17. I was like, well, there's a bigger youth group in this church, and that's the way it is. And, and through that, I actually learned a real love for the Bible. You know, So I'd seen a lot of amazing, miraculous things around my parents growing up, but the churches they were in were usually quite small, a lot of older people. Now, when I was a kid, anyone over the age of 40 was probably old. So I, I don't actually remember how old they all were, but they seemed ancient to me growing up, whereas this other group was very vibrant. It was big. You know, I think the youth group was a hundred people, which is a mega church in its own, you know, in the UK. Um, wow. And so it was, yeah. it was fantastic. And, and, and they taught me to love the Bible. They loved each other. Well, they loved people. Well, looking back, I would not agree with probably a huge portion of what they believe, but it was very helpful and informative for me. And, and it instilled in me a real love for the Bible. And I think through that, through studying the scriptures, you can't study the scriptures without asking some questions. I don't know. Some people do. I don't know how you can intentionally really dig into the scriptures without going, wait, what? <laughs> that, that's like a recurring theme for me. I can't get through a couple of pages without going, wait, what's happening here? Um, and so I, I, it's yeah. natural for me to ask questions, I think. So maybe more so than the average person. And I think that constantly pushed me. Every time I came across a passage, you know, a lot of people in, in church will read passages where God commands genocide and killing babies and children and the wives and every man and then going, well, you can keep all the virgin teenage girls for your soldiers. And you go, what? Now, a lot of people read that and don't go, what? They just go, oh, next page, next page. Oh, good. We're in the promised land. Everything's over. It seems a bit safer. <laughs> and I couldn't do that. Yeah. I had to stop and go, wait, what? What's happening here? And so my natural inquisitiveness to ask questions, to constantly going, what is going on here? What is going on here? It constantly prodded me forwards and I kept finding answers. I kept finding answers in the person of Jesus. And so for me, I've constantly been disgusted is probably a strong word, but probably quite an accurate word, disgusted at a lot of who God was presented to be in the churches I grew up in. But it pushed me and not, it didn't push me away from God. It pushed me towards who is God? Because my relationship with God was not that person. You know, the person I was praying to in my quiet time every morning wasn't going to go, all right, Phil, here's the deal. I want you to head over to uh, your neighboring town and kill every man, woman, and child. You know, I just, I couldn't envision that. You know, it's just a really hard stretch of the imagination for me. And so I was like, no, this isn't adding up. How do I get it to add up? And so it's constantly pushed me to, to study and to search out. And I'm very academic. I tend not to be driven too much by my emotions. I'm very driven by my intellectual understanding of things. 
which can be a, a good thing and a very negative thing at times. Um, but in this case, it, it was very helpful for me. And I think for a lot of people, the emotional part holds you back from that growth as well. You know, so you start asking questions, but then you, you get very frightened, honestly, very scared of like, well, what if this God doesn't pan out? What, what, if, what if there's something wrong with my faith? Well, what am I going to do? Where are my friends going to be? You know, I'm, every, everyone I know is in this church. Like, well, am I going to have a board game night now? <laughs> Might have to ask that guy from the IRS. Yeah. Um, you know, but it's a very scary process. But for me, it wasn't scary. It was, if anything, it was exciting to be constantly trying to find answers to these questions. Well, you were fortunate you were in a setting where you could ask questions. I mean, I don't know your background, but the religious settings that I was in for a long time, I remember asking questions and just like getting the look like, we don't talk about that. Yep. You know, oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I learned quite early on. So I've been through a lot of different backgrounds and places and part of my journey of traveling and speaking, you know, I've been doing this the whole time. I didn't stop. Once I, once I started speaking, it wasn't like I had the answer and now I was going to go and tell people. If anything, once I started speaking, I realized all the more how futile a lot of my answers were and I really needed to do, go on some journeys <laughs> and explore. Um, you learn very quickly where to ask the question and where not to ask the question. And usually yeah, you yeah. learn that from the really hard kicks you get, you know, on your way out. Um, I definitely have had my fair share of people highlighting that that was not an appropriate question and you're no longer uh, welcome to ask questions or or even be around anymore. I've had that in, in certain uh, contexts and, and environments and groups. And I've lost my share of friends, leaders, churches. Uh, that has been the cost for sure. Yeah, well, it has for me too. I was a musician the first 20 years of my adult life, a jazz musician, and then mm. had a radical change in life. And I became a worship pastor in a very fundamentalist church. And uh, after a couple of years, we mutually decided that that wasn't a real good fit for me. <laughs> was it your jazz and, worship? <laughs> yeah, no, it, it, it was. <laughs> it's your that, jazz yeah, they, theology, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was. They had a rule that no drums in the sanctuary. And uh, yeah. And that was one of the easy rules. Oh, man. I, but at any rate, you know, we started a church uh, almost 30 years ago now. And, and then after, about 11 years ago, I started on my grace journey. And we had, a, you know, a good little church, about 250 people. We had some really neat things going on. And I preached that down to about 125. And then after a few years, when I really started understanding Christ in everyone and mm. God's love for everybody, I preached it down to about 25. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and I yeah. sort of became a persona non grata in the uh, evangelical community, which it was hard at first. You yeah, know, those were absolutely. my friends, uh, uh, my community and all of that. And I, you know, I didn't always handle it well, but I'm so grateful for the journey God has taken me on and continually leading me on. And uh, I don't mean to compare this at all to what Christ did on the cross, but I think a certain portion of our suffering with Christ is suffering the rejection mm. that he felt simply because he modeled and taught how good God is. Gosh, I'll never forget someone saying to me, well, Paul, you're just making God out to be better than he is. And I, <laughs> gosh, how do you how do you answer that? That's um, that's sad, right? I mean, it's really really sad to think that someone wants to bring God down to a realistic level of goodness. <laughs> yeah, it's, to our uh, level of goodness. Yeah, yeah, we yeah. want to make God in our image, and uh, it is sad. One of the things that I struggle with is 
realizing that people that have those kinds of thoughts, they're not the enemy. They're, for the most part, just parroting what they've been taught by well-meaning but uninformed people. And my heart for them, as as I think it is for yours too, is to to help them see God's goodness for everybody. As best they're able to hear that. And I think this is the thing as well, recognizing that people are on a a bit of a, we all grow in a progression and in stages and, you know, we're walking up the steps. And if you try and like drag people up the steps, they're going to end up bruised and battered and probably want to go back down anyway. Yeah. And I think it is learning like, okay, we're trying to have a bit of humility. It's hard for us to see how slow and gentle the progression of our growth was. I think we, we almost see it as an overnight change when, you know, it's like, when did you learn about grace? Oh yeah, well, God spoke to me and I just knew it. And it's like, well, God's probably sitting there going, actually, I was talking to you about it for 50 years and you finally started <laughs> listening about that. And so I think it's quite hard for us to go back and recognize, oh gosh, there's so many parts of this journey and bit by bit by bit, I was starting to get it and understand it. And it clicked at a certain point, Yeah, but actually I was growing in this the whole yeah. way. And I think we want people to have that click moment and we feel like we should be the person that gives them the click moment. But actually we're probably just part of yeah, day by day by day, showing them love, showing them that grace is bigger than law, showing them that inclusivity is better than exclusivity, showing them that God is better than they can think. Maybe even just expanding yeah. that thought of how big God can be just bit by bit by bit. Yeah. All of that is is exciting to me. And I think we can often, uh, we can actually do quite a bit of damage when we try and kind of get to the end point straight away, you know, and recognize yeah. that people aren't, people aren't there. And so the best thing you can do is love them the best because to mm. understand just how scary it is. If you are a, a very fundamental, uh, I, I try and avoid the word traditional, but you know, I mean like kind of pastor of a church that um, believes, well, this is the way it works. And God is into uh, punishing sin and they killed Jesus on the cross so that he could punish Jesus. He wanted to punish us, but instead he just wailed on his son and you go, well, actually there's a different way to see that. That's actually a really scary thing to say suddenly. Cause well, that's how I see my salvation. That's how I'm not going to hell. That's how I'm not going to burn forever. That's how I relate to this God that I I love and and have a real relationship with. You can't take away that because everything falls apart. And so suddenly it's terrifying for that person. And so you can't just jump to the end. You kind of have to take people on a bit of a journey, I think. Um, And that's the the beauty of something like this podcast and and, and meeting with people and doing life with people is you can learn where they are. And that's how you love people as well. You don't love people by dropping them in the deep end. Even Jesus said, the end of his ministry, Jesus says, look, there's loads of things I want to tell you, but you're not ready. So I'm going to give you the spirit and in time you're going to be able yeah. to get handle this. And the truth is he is, we weren't ready. You know, I'm right. sure Jesus would have loved for us to abolish slavery. I'm yeah. sure Jesus would have loved for us to have complete equality between the sexes. However, I'm pretty confident given that we didn't do it like until like, you know, more than a thousand years later, we were nowhere near starting. I'm pretty sure if he tried to tackle slavery at that point, people would have just been like, what's he talking about? You know, that's, sure. They killed him even quicker. Probably. Um, yeah, probably and so, so. And so there's this thing of like, okay, I need to understand where you are and help you on your journey. What's, what's helpful now? What moves you forward now? And yeah, that's good. I'm not going to talk about this. I'm not going to talk about that. I'm going to talk about that. That's very good. And we're almost out of time now, but we're going to do another uh, episode and we'll pick up there and talk some more about how you're helping people on this uh, progression. Before we close today, though, Phil, tell people how they can connect with you, how they can get in touch with you and read your things and listen. Hmm. How can we do that? I'm most active on Instagram these days. So if you can find me on Instagram, it's just Phil Drysdale with one L, P-H-I-L-D-R-Y-S-D-A-L-E. 
on Instagram. I love chatting with people. Just send me a message and I'll chat all day with you. I, I really love it. I, I spend a lot of time pastoring people online. I can also be reached on Facebook. It's just Phil Drysdale Ministries on Facebook. You can find me there. And so those are probably the best ways. I know that you sent me an email and I replied, but I am bad at replying to emails. I get thousands and thousands of emails and I'm just rubbish <laughs> keeping on top of them all. Um, so you can send me an email and I will 100% read it, but I cannot promise you I'll reply. So yeah, definitely social media is the best place to reach out. And yeah, of course, all my resources are, are there to enjoy. And if you want to pick my brains, honestly, listening to an hour message is probably going to give you much more than chatting to me on uh, social media or email anyway. I'm, not, I'm never going to give you an answer as good as an hour video or something probably anyway. But yeah. Great. Well, I sure encourage people to do that as I have done. And, and I thank you so much for being with me on this episode of Grace to All with Paul Gray. And I look forward to the next one, which people will be able to hear a week later. Perfect. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thanks, everybody. See you next time on Grace to All with Paul Gray. Thank you for listening to Grace to All. For more about us, how we can serve you, and our special guest, please visit www.gracewithpaulgray.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so that you never miss an episode and to join our Facebook group, Grace to All, where you'll be inspired and awakened to more truth that you can handle.